Cool for Cats with me, Amy Hughes. We're inviting you in for black coffee and a chat about our favorite band, Squeeze. In this episode, I'm welcoming Mike Duquette, founder of The Second Disc. His passion for reissue labels and back catalogs can be found on the secondisc.com website, as well as several need-to-know articles published since 2010. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well, Amy. Thank you for having me on. You are among the very few who tackles, let's just say, a a pretty eclectic mm, topic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the podcast in in and of itself is a very eclectic topic. I got very excited when I found out that somebody was doing a podcast about Squeeze. Because, you know, I I think, you know, we're both Americans. Um, and so I think when you find squeeze fans in America, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's like a, a moth seeing a, a lantern. It's like, let me go over there. Yeah. Nobody says no. No. You say squeeze to the people that are familiar and they're like, yes, you know, that means I'm going to have to talk to you now yes. about squeeze. <laughs> and I think also for me, because I am slightly younger than the average squeeze fan, I am 35. Um, so I, you know, did not, I, I did not count, you know, seeing the hourglass video on MTV. I was too busy, you know, being born and gaining basic developmental skills. <laughs> That's quite all right. I saw them so I can fill in the blanks. <laughs> <laughs> very good. But, very good. <laughs> on a general note, let me ask you for our listeners exactly what you do with regards to the second disc. Yeah. So the second disc I founded uh, just after I graduated college in 2010, I was a journalism student um, and I was really interested in, I'd always loved back catalog music, you know, the ideas of reissues, box sets, compilations, things like that for, for older artists. The idea that you could go into a Barnes and Noble with, you know, 30 or $40 of allowance that you'd saved up over some time. And it's like, well, I could buy, I could buy the CD of let's say what's going on by Marvin Gaye. Could buy that for $10, $12, or I could pay like $25, $30 and I can get this two CD set. That's got a different mix of the album, a live show, some outtakes and things. I was always really interested in that. And um, typically I think in modern journalism, it's actually around this time, your November, December, the the gift guide season. You know, that's when all the big box sets come out. We just had the, you know, the Beatles just put out the, the revolver box set. There's always, you know, the end of the year is always the time that these big sets come out and, um, you know, hopefully get people to part <laughs> with their money to, to hear these records in a new way. But I was always interested, well, what about the other 10 months of the year? And I gradually would find out that there was a lot of um, labels that would license catalog and usually it was you know not your led zeppelin or your beatles or your you know a-list stars so uh i just i just followed that uh with a unbridled passion and it really was um it really was a an excuse to try to build a sort of a demo reel for myself i ended up working for close to 10 years uh in uh, within catalog labels, uh, mostly doing editorial, 
Um, most notably, I, I worked for Sony's Legacy Recordings for about eight years and uh, did some really cool projects. The thing I'm probably most proud of and it's probably my calling card is I worked on a box set for uh, Weird Al Yankovic, who is having a real moment now. Um, it was a so you were like you had a precog right there. <laughs> I guess I did. Yeah, um, it was uh, you know it was a big career spanning box set we did that uh, our our wonderful designers had you know come up we'd come up with the idea of what if we put it in sort of an interesting package and so we basically uh, they three D printed a replica of his accordion with all the, the records in each of the bellows of the accordion. And uh, they deservedly won a Grammy for their, for their, their efforts. Um, and my, my responsibility was mostly in the editorial curation of it. Um, I worked with the Sony archive and Al's uh, drummer and archivist in um, sourcing photos that nobody had ever seen. And, uh, you know, sort of building a cohesive story within the book that came with the, uh, the package. I often joke that I had the only job in the world where it mattered to know what a picture of Al in 1984 versus a picture of Al in 1992, uh, that that was actually a, a monetizable skill. So uh, for all the, the people out there uh, who wonder if they can have a job that's truly unusual, uh, I'm here to tell you that you can. <laughs> you're, living, you're living the life as far as I'm concerned, because everybody – not a lot of people can talk about Al, you know, in well, those terms. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've had the privilege since of, you know, I've sort of transitioned into some more freelance uh, stuff. I've done, uh, I just did my first liner notes this year, which is the culmination of a, of a multi-year dream of wanting to uh, uh, put, put my words in, a, in an actual package and have my name on them. Uh, so that was a, uh, Mondo Records, which is a soundtrack label, um, they they are doing a uh, a double LP reissue of the uh, soundtrack uh, John Williams score to ET the Extraterrestrial, which is my favorite movie. So uh, to have the opportunity to write about my favorite music from my favorite movie, it's obviously all downhill from here, uh, with the exception, of course, of talking about Squeeze. Well, thank you for putting us in that position. Yes, of um, course. <laughs> so I would say that. Based on your '80s love yes. uh, in music and culture, uh, Squeeze looks like a great fit for your personality. Yeah, I think I, you know, I try to think of where it came from. I know the first, like so many Americans, the first Squeeze record I owned was the Singles 45s and Under. There was a period in my life, probably around the time I graduated college where I really made it a point to go and try to find something interesting within, um, they don't really do them anymore, but if you'd go to a supermarket and there'd be, you know, like kind of wholesale CDs in kind of a bin. Now it's mostly DVDs and Blu-rays. Um, and I would always try to make it a point to find something interesting. And I think at that point, Universal had, had repackaged uh, it as part of their, uh, uh, 20th Century Masters Series Millennium Collection that they were doing around the, the turn of the millennium, uh, which were usually very sort of mid-priced compilations. So they just took the entirety of uh, the contents of Singles 45s and Under and uh, repackaged it in that way. I think it was some sort of eco-friendly packaging. It felt like uh, um, 
like having a carton of eggs almost uh, with a with a piece of cardboard on it. But um, I, you know, and of course I had known from various compilations, I had known the songs that most American squeeze, you know, burgeoning squeeze fanatics know. I knew Tempted, I knew Black Coffee in Bed, I knew um, uh, Pulling Muscles from the Shell, you know, from being, you know, recurrent radio songs um, on your 80s blocks and what have you. But it was really, you know, getting into the, their song craft. And I think it was by the time, you know, I was listening to the CD. I think by, by the time I got to Up the Junction, I was like, this is, you always, I think you, I always have moments with bands that I love where I, when I hear this, like, I know maybe four or five songs and I hear a song that like maybe is not as well known. And I, and I think, oh, this is a band that's going to stick with me forever. And that was Up the Junction without question. And, uh, you know, and of course, around that time, this is the late 2000s, it was actually kind of a good time to be a Squeeze fan. They had recently reunited, um, and they were touring. I think I had seen them in, I live in, uh, I live, I've lived in New Jersey, New York, so I think I first saw them at Radio City Music Hall, which was really exciting to see them in, in such a venue. I was lucky to see uh, Glenn a couple times. There was a great uh, venue, unfortunately, that's no longer with us uh, in Hoboken, New Jersey, called Maxwell's. I saw him play there, and it was like you know, it, it was it felt like there was like maybe fifty people, and not because only fifty people showed up, because it was such a small room. Like he came, he kind of emerged from the crowd, and I was like, that is nuts. I didn't even know he was here. I figured he was just in the backstage area, and uh, you know, I remember I got to. He signed my copy of Different and Tilbrook after that, and uh, I got a picture with them. And I'm, you know, the the biggest 22 year old uh, nerd smiling <laughs> happily next to uh, someone who I think we can both agree is a songwriting genius. Absolutely, there's uh, no argument on my end, and it's interesting that you remark about your age even back then, because um, you know, way on this. The compilation, uh, greatest hits, you know, the collections seem to do really well for Squeeze. Yes. And we had a small chat about that and still their biggest uh, best-selling CD slash final is singles. Right. So I'm, and and that was only a four-year span back when the band first started, essentially. So I'm still it trying is striking. To, yeah. What, what is that? Despite the fact that we could talk about five or six different versions of the collections of songs and hits and B sides. What is it about this? People say, okay, it's your stepping stone into squeeze. Uh, people seem to have it everywhere, but weigh in on why you think this singles hits a chord with everybody. Well, I think it's probably, and this is not to disparage the, the other, the other eras that came after it, which I, I, you know, I like everything. There is not a, there's not a squeeze record that I'm like, uh, I don't know about that one. Um, but there's a, you know, I think to, I think to your point, and I think of another uh, great act that was also on A&M Records, The Police, another band that I adore. Um, when you think of 
for Squeeze for these songs to come so quickly and so intensely. And they really just, they really, they really did strike a chord with people. And, you know, there was obviously the, the comparison at the time, you know, the idea that, that, that we now have a new Lennon and McCartney, which on the face of it is kind of, it's like, wait, what? But then you listen to these songs and these, you know, and of course the, 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 the song craft is a little different, but the, 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 the keen melody is there, but there's also this undercurrent of storytelling that you get with Chris's lyrics that is truly unmatched. And I, I think back to, you know, as I delved further into the catalog and, um, a song like, like separate beds from Argy Bargy, like thinking about, you know, the storytelling of that, of, of, you know, meeting, uh, meeting, a lover's parents for the first time and, and all the emotions that come with that. And it was just like, these just great slice of life. And I think, you know, I, I, not to cast dispersions, but I think as a sensitive male figure myself, you know, myself, I, uh, there was something I, I really liked their, their style. And I don't mean like sartorially, although I think in the seventies days, they look great, but there was a point, you know, like sort of the, the way that the, the way that they saw the world and reported on the world, um, you know, which was very, you know, it was very working class and, and there was, you know, there were all these expectations that came with it, but there was a, you know, there was a, a, a maybe not capital R romanticism, but there was this aspect of, you know, freedom and fun and, and, you know, hanging around the pub and all that stuff. Like, and, and again, you know, being 22, 23, especially at a time when, you know, this was the late 2000s, the economy was not doing great. Um, you know, a lot of people, myself included, worked a lot of, you know, kind of menial jobs to try to make ends meet while, while sort of pursuing the next thing and, and really relying on that sense of community that, that you, that you built. And I think there's something, there's something to be said about the squeeze songbook that really captures that moment. And, you know, even now uh, that I'm much older and, and married and, you know, not that I had a lot of wild oats to sow, but, <laughs> but I had a, you know, I, I look at, the, I look at those very fondly. And I also think that there's, especially once you get past singles, 45 and under that, that they as songwriters grow with their experiences. And so what you take from their songs grows as well. So it really is, it's a, you know, there's layers upon layers to enjoy with the squeeze, with the squeeze songbook. And I think that obviously, I think that the, the reason that singles 45 and under is like the, the perfect entry point is not only that melodicism, but I think that sort of that burst of youthful energy, um, but with, with a maturity to it as well, if that makes any sense. It does because we still talk about that. And that was, you know, 40 plus years ago. And people still associate that, that kind of sound. And I understand they would be missing out on the later years, uh, which I believe, you know, the compilations that have been coming out are, are, are healthy. Um, mm. And I know that there's this, and I don't know if you buy into it, that mythology of well you know all the songs you ever want to listen to in your life are done at 35 so you sir <laughs> are right there on the edge <laughs> but any aside from that um 
it is interesting that the compilations do sort of progress along during the years. And you had a really good synopsis of all of this like 10 years ago, uh, which is how I first kind of signed. I went, hey, this guy's talking about other stuff besides singles. Right. Um, But having said that, here's one other thing that you can weigh in on. Right before the new song, the new EP was just released. Mm -hmm. If you typed in squeeze in Apple iTunes, the first thing that comes up is this squeeze 80s classics. (laughs) And it just shows you, I mean, it just shows you where today's marketing lives with this band. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's, um, you know, how we go cycles and people really get into the whole 80s, you know, oh, kind of, of, you know, situations and, and, and mindset. But if we leave singles alone in its own corral and you start to get out more, uh, you start to open the door more for other compilations your article was quite insightful because it seems like the Americans don't get enough of understanding. They just want to hang on to the quick stuff. You know, everybody will say tempted black coffee, possibly goodbye girl, possibly up the junction. And then we're kind of stuck. Do you know what I mean? But of course I'm one of the people, and it's funny because this, you know, you talking about them as sort of an eighties band, quote unquote, the, the the irony of that is because the songs that you're just, that that you mentioned are all, in my opinion, they're all timeless. They don't sound like '80s songs. There, of course, is one song in the catalog that is. I don't know if it's a big hit. Like it's, I don't know if it does streaming numbers now. But I think of a song like Hourglass, which I love, and I you know if I hear that like in, on a radio in like a CVS or a diner or something, I go nuts like people you know i gotta like stop the conversation i'm like wait a second hourglass is playing on the radio (laughs) breaking news for all of you who didn't know this and i know mike does hourglass was their highest charting song past tempted way past tempted way yes way past now of course the video was kind of you know weird and but cute and and Right, and that's of course what what probably because MTV was still relevant, and right. it was it was and it wasn't relevant in eighty one. It was just getting its legs exactly, um, and Squeeze just happened to deliver this product um, to a starving channel that was supposed right. to be showing music videos. So Hourglass, people love it. Um, their biggest song, "Hello Everybody Out There," biggest song, yes. Who would have thought? Of course, uh, but of course now with streaming, like, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think this year we've seen a really interesting story in catalog marketing of uh, Kate Bush's running up that hill being in Stranger Things and making it like into the top five of the Billboard Hot 100, which is something that would have been unheard of at the time. And I dare, I, I dare think that um, you know, I think that the chronology of Stranger Things is such that, you know, the the series will eventually be getting into like 1987. So maybe this is the prime time to to get a sync license for some sort of spooky version of Hourglass. 
<laughs> it could be. That would be that would be um, just monumental. Um, but let me let me we're going to fast forward just a little sure, bit. Sure, of course. The the the, uh, the interesting reason um, in regards to um, song permissions and royalties and et cetera, et cetera, is was the fact that the band made spot the difference. Yes. And that was 2010. And I know you know the background, but why don't you kind of explain exactly why that had to happen? Yeah. So there was, you know, I, I was, uh, I was compiling some notes before I, before I, I came here. And the thing I, I wonder, which I, you know, I don't think the band, the band is never, I think they'd be diplomatic enough not to, not to say it, but I, I get the sense that there might be some sort of a stalemate between the band and Universal Music Group who have, you know, controlled the Squeeze catalog for, you know, when it was Polygram and then, you know, Universal Music took over. And, you know, I think f- for mo- for most acts, there is, you know, obviously when you license a song and Tempted, of course, songs like Tempted have been licensed so many times in commercials and, you know, uh, TV spots and things like that. There is a, um, you know, you, you, you get a fee, but if you are licensing a recording that you yourself own, as is the case with Spot the Difference, which the, the band, you know, through their own label and their own uh, company, they own that as opposed to Universal, they are getting a higher share of, of profit for that. So I think the idea with Spot the Difference was to very carefully re-record all those songs. So if somebody wants to hear Tempted on a radio in a show that's set in 1983, you'd have that version that, that they could license probably for less than they could from Universal. And the band would, would, would benefit not only just as well, they would benefit a little bit more. Now, you know, you can debate the the challenge of Spot the Difference. Um, again, a song like Hourglass, which is on there, uh, you know, that was a record that was like, you know, made it the hit factory in New York City. You know, they got a lot of money for to make that record. It was very glossy sounding. And as solid as the band is, I think trying to replicate the exact cadences and, and you know, synth patches and things um, is probably difficult to do in a studio of your own ownership. But, you know, I think they acquitted themselves well. And, but, but that, you know, spot the difference is sort of a, the linchpin in my argument of, you know, what exactly is going on with the squeeze catalog today? Like what, like what could go on with it? Uh, and, and, and why isn't it going on? Which is, you know, again, that's like my Ted talk that I'm (laughs) planning on laying out here. (laughs) Let me ask you, because I don't know too much about legalities of this situation except from what's going on with taylor swift and her re-recordings which is pretty much the same thing uh so squeeze you know set the bar um (laughs) but anyway do trying to think do different and tilbrook have have much of a say or did they when these compilations started to come out like Excess moderation, six of one, big squeeze. That's are they consulted or it doesn't matter? 
because Universal, kind of like um, Capitol Records in the old days of the Beatles, didn't really have to get permission. Nowadays, of course, Apple is just, you know, cracking the whip on rights and licensing and stuff. So, So I guess my question is, did those compilations in the 90s and early aughts, so to speak, have to get uh, clearance or did, it didn't matter because the masters were owned by Universal. The the thing I think about the catalog business is that nothing, you know, uh, no one is uninformed. It's just, it's how much you want, you, you, how much there to be involved. I know with certain, like, I know there's certain, like even licensing, like if you're licensing from a third party, you know, like a Universal or a Warner or a Sony, in certain cases, they're, they're, they now have very clear like contract language that this cannot proceed until everybody who's involved has signed off on it. You know, uh, of course, in some cases, these things will go through lawyers, you know, and so it'll just be a very simple like, you know, sign this, sign this paper here. In the case of something like Excess Moderation, which to me is really the – that and the, the Piccadilly Collection, which came out that same year, are really the big bang in terms of squeeze in the modern CD era of you know all the, all the records at that point had been released on CD. I think it was different, and Tilbrook was the first one to get a, a, a CD release at the same time as would get a vinyl or a tape release. Um, and by the time Babylon and On came out, I think the other – four or five records had all been released on CD. And so they were coming out at a pretty consistent clip. But um, with Excess Moderation and Piccadilly Collection, I can't speak to Piccadilly Collection because that is a, it's a weird compilation. There's like some B-sides on it. There's, it's like the sequencing is very unusual, but Excess Moderation, which was a, a, you know, a double CD set meant to focus on the lesser known side of the squeeze catalog with your album cuts, your B sides, a couple of unreleased material, you know, a couple of unreleased things that I know that I believe Chris and Glenn, not only did they give the consent for uh, A&M to do it, they, I believe also contributed track by track commentary. Um, so that was, that's an example of, you know, we're not just letting our lawyers sign off on this. We're actually going to have an active hand in this and i think everything subsequent mostly the big ones six of one being you know a prominent case where all the, the the first six records were remastered each of them had two bonus tracks which were mostly unreleased that was i think a, a conscious decision on the part of the band which of course proved ironic because within a year the band was defunct <laughs> and so that's why i don't think you really saw anything outside of i think the big squeeze compilation from 2002 which by this point, you know, Chris and Gwen had pretty, you know, interesting solo careers. They were, you know, Gwen was riding around in, a, in an RV across America. And so it was, a, I think, a good way to get people into the, you know, in, in two CDs, get them into the, um, the tank, so to speak, as, a, as, okay, this is what this band is like. And so it would appeal to the, you know, to the new fans who maybe had a little bit of extra money to spend, but it would also appeal to the people who had all these, records but they didn't maybe have um you know squabs on 40 fab on cd or uh you know other b-sides and other ephemera yeah yeah because when you do that you uh give the incentive to people to buy the same material they've had again but you get this extra stuff in quotes 
Yeah, and and that's of course the the debate that's raged, you know, for probably the thirty five years that, you know, that mo- what we consider what I would consider modern catalog marketing, which comes somewhere between the release of like Bob Dylan's biograph and Eric Clapton's crossroads as sort of the, you know, those were the first to me, real box sets of let's, you know, let's tell a story. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we were never lucky enough to get a, uh, a, a similar set for squeeze. That would be, you know, four CDs that would, or so however many CDs that would explain the story in a much more in-depth telling that would be your hits, your album cuts, your unreleased things. Um, and I would also like to apologize to the Squeeze community because as someone who did work on that Weird Al box set called Squeeze Box, I unfortunately robbed the band Squeeze of the perfect title for such a box set. <laughs> so but also I'd like to apologize on that. homage. That's okay. I mean, <laughs> we all understand. We are Squeeze fans. And, you know, what's what's hard with this whole thing is that it 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 feels like a deluge, you know of uh package material like do we need this again well we need this again right and i think you know and so the last time that that anything was really seriously you know once the band reunited there was a a new compilation bought to the world the essential squeeze compilation and they very cannily decided okay we're going to start a real comprehensive reissue campaign with these albums and they they picked four and that was, I think, to me, where the the problem started, which is you pick two records that I think are really, like, solidly known among the hardcore fan base. You have Argy Bargy, which was expanded with a, a bunch of B-sides and bonus tracks, as well as a live show, which is a, if you haven't listened to it, you, you gotta listen to it. I mean, I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you've already heard this show, um, but it's a it's a cracker of a show. And then you had Sweets from a Stranger, which had, you know, a very solid uh, recurrent song in Black Coffee in Bed. But then you also had, while they are two really good records, you had Frank, which is sort of famous for being consistently out of print because I don't think that many people wanted to buy it, unfortunately. And a, a record like Ridiculous, which, you know, again, solid record, but like not you know, if you're starting the squeeze reissue campaign, you would probably think to do it from the top. You know, you would do at least Cool for Cats and, and East Side Story. You know, how we never got a deluxe edition of East Side Story is really beyond my comprehension. And then maybe, you know, I mean, I think about like, I mean, I think of the Elvis Costello catalog when, when Rhino was reissuing those in the, in the, the early 2000s. And they weren't going chronological, but they were, you know, they did start with like My Aim is True. You know, the the idea, if it were me, and I don't, you know, I can't profess to know what Universal did uh, at the time, but if it were me, I would have probably said, okay, well, we'll do RG Bargy, but we'll also do Cool for Cats, and we'll do uh, East Side Story, and maybe we'll do, I don't know, Babylon Non, maybe, and then maybe, and then from there we'll go, you know, into like, you know, Sweets of a Stranger, maybe some fantastic place start big i guess and you know and um you know for whatever reason you know we have these four albums that got really great uh presentations on cd with great liner notes and package design and and all the the uh, you know rare and uncompiled material you could want to hear and then the other half dozen plus records 
we have not gotten those and we may never get those just because that is unfortunately how you know i don't know that universal is going to want to do it you know they maybe a, a a label would want to license those records but of course you know universal would have to say yes and i think anybody involved would probably have to say you know as a courtesy they would probably ask different than tilbrook hey can you uh can you sign off on this if you haven't heard about anchor by spotify it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place here's how it works anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Wouldn't that be the best of both worlds that you have? Um, like what McCartney is doing with gathering everything into one place or issuing right. these archive series, you know, legacy is what I'm trying to say. Don't you think that would benefit that if Universal, like, let's face it, there are no, there are no penny pinching or anything like that or bean counting going over there about, hmm, I mean, maybe there is, you know, about should we, should we try that again with Squeeze or, or should they go, go, go with somebody a smaller label that specializes in the care and comfort that goes into a reissue and really do a nice job, especially like you said, where you delve deep and get personal with the subject matter rather than, okay, yeah, let's go here. And, oh yeah, they got those two songs. So let's throw those in, in this live session. And it becomes like every other deluxe edition it doesn't really get that special treatment do you do you feel like that do you think there are labels uh or people uh that can that could help i mean besides you know yourself oh yeah i mean well you know the second disc we are very privileged to work with uh a label called real gun music and we have we have uh done some really great uh titles uh from across the gamut of popular music things, uh, you know, uh, Joe Marchese, my, my writing partner, who is sort of the, uh, the full-time editor of the site and, uh, is sort of the driving force behind those. He's done everything from Johnny Mathis to the Supremes. Uh, one I'm really excited about that came out this year, uh, was the, um, the record, the, the material by a, a duo known at the time as Stoney and Meatloaf. And Meatloaf was that Meatloaf, the one we all know from Bad Out of Hell. And this was some early, uh, bef long before Bad Out of Hell, some stuff he'd done for a Motown subsidiary. So, you know, our, our door is open uh, <laughs> for that. But, uh, but yeah, there are plenty of labels um, that would be able to do, you know, of course, the, the vagaries of, of catalog marketing is such that um you know certain there are certain things that are easier to do depending on what territory you're a part of now i i i unfortunately don't know this for sure but i don't know if the squeeze catalog the you know as as owned by universal music if that is something that is taken care of by the uk branch or the us branch 
Now there are, you know, because there are just some cases where you'd think it would be one, but it's the other. I can give you, I mean, an example in the opposite direction. I know Sony Music had, you know, had four great records by uh, the artist now known as Sananda Maitreya, who was previously Terrence Trent Darby, who had a big top 10 in the 80s of Wishing Well, um, was an American artist, but was signed to the UK division of what was you know, Columbia CBS Records at the time. Um, so all that material is handled by the UK, even though it's an American artist. And I know there are other examples that are the opposite, where I think AHA is a perfect example, where AHA were signed to the US branch of Warner Brothers Records. Um, so there's, you know, there's all these like vagaries of, of that sort of catalog licensing. And I think that certain labels... I think there are certain, you know, maybe certain, uh, you know, fees that you have to, 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 you know, that you have to pay in America, you know, licensing, publishing, things like that, that maybe have a, a slightly different rate of return outside of the U.S. And so when you see like a, like a Cherry Red, you know, which has all these great um, sub-labels and put out all these great catalog works, they, like Howard Jones, um, you know, artists of, of that caliber, um, you see all these great things being put together and you're like, well, why, why aren't they coming out here in the U.S.? And the answer is just, well, because it's just easier to come out in the U.K. and then, you know, you just import it. So I would love to see, I mean, I would love to see a U.K. label, uh, you know, go after the squeeze catalog. I mean, they are a U.K. They are a U.K. act. Um, I would also, you know, like to make an argument that, that, that this stuff should also be available digitally. And I realize that is a, that is a, a real war of attrition uh, with people who follow the, the catalog stuff that I'm interested in. The, the idea, you know, well, it's gotta be on CD and I feel that way too, but I will take at this point, whatever I can get. And I've certainly had, I had thoughts because I don't think that those 2007, I could be wrong, but I don't think those 2007 presentations uh, are streamable. I think when you stream those records on Apple music or Spotify, you might just get, the originals you might get the deluxe of rg bargy because there's that whole other live show but um but there's all this stuff you know or, or at least you know when these records came out in 97 and had these bonus tracks those bonus tracks are not available to stream i don't think um so it's a matter of you know really trying to play to as many audiences here and and again with digital you don't have to worry about selling three thousand five thousand copies of a thing you know you just you have it out there and I mean, you'd be surprised. We try to cover on the second disc. We try to cover titles that you know on Fridays will show up that are digital only, and there are things that you know have fallen out of print or whatever. You know, it's just like, wow, this is fascinating. Why is this stuff, you know? And it, it doesn't often get reported on either, which is very unusual. It's like, well, how do how do you ever hope to get people to to listen to these lesser known records if you're not you know <laughs> drawing people to them? So they could easily do that with Squeeze Catalog if they, if they wanted to, or they could do, you know, I don't know, just comp. I mean, I, I've always joked and, you know, original title, Do Not Steal, but uh, I've always joked that, you know, you could do a, 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 a digital only set of just non-LP stuff and call it B-Side Story. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I like to think so. Yes, yes. Um, I know there's a lot of play on words we could go uh, on. Of course, with, with them. Are you kidding? 
Yeah, of course. Um, but what's interesting too is you're uh, talking about something, and I'm thinking things too. Where let's kind of go outside the go outside the box a little bit, yeah. and talk about the EP that they made a physical CD of, and are selling it on the cure on the current UK tour. So you can stream it, say here in the US or outside the UK. Um, but a lot of people uh, here in the U.S. have made a big noise about trying to get people who are seeing them physically at shows, literally right now, and purchasing. Now, of course, the purchase is going to uh, a good cause over there in the U.K. for the for the Trussell Trust. Right. However, they did the new song, then they re-recorded two old songs. Yes. And then had three new, not new, but they were three live tracks. So <laughs> you're getting like uh, the best casserole. Yeah, it's a not insubstantial amount of material. A nice blend. You're getting new, two <clears throat> new versions of old songs. And then live. I mean, who else? Why, why is nobody else doing this? <laughs> well, exactly. And, it, it, you know, it's, you know, obviously... I've seen a lot of people, uh, myself included, have been like, okay, is there any hope of getting this on, on CD? But I would actually – I would like to go in a different direction, and this speaks to something with their latter catalog that I would – if there are any people who <laughs> are any in any way involved with the squeeze machine, I, I, I call on them. The the material that the band owns, which is very a very – you know, not the. I think they. I think they own the Domino record. I don't know what the deal is for the post reunion records, um, which were I know were distributed by uh, major labels. I think. I think maybe it was a. I think it might have been Virgin EMI that that distributed um, uh, Cradle to the Grave, and I believe it was Warner's Indie Arm ADA, which did um, the Knowledge. I think. What I would call on the band. To anything that they own themselves, and again, spot the difference would be in this uh, category. Food for thought would be in this category. Put it on Bandcamp. Uh, as many people probably have discovered in the last almost three years that we've been living post COVID, um, Bandcamp is a digital service that allows um, independent-minded artists to directly co uh, connect to their fans um in a much more i would say equitable way of consuming music that you know when you stream something you know the if you really look at how much an artist gets from one stream it is positively psychotic it is you know you couldn't buy a piece of gum 100 years ago with the money that you get from one stream you couldn't I oh my God, you! I was just going to say that. that you couldn't afford a stick of gum with like, and that's and that's why uh, there was that backlash last year or this earlier this year about Spotify. You know, all the legacy artists were pulling off. Yes, and it's still going on, and I hope it continues. And I, I also shout out the uh, the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, which I am unfortunately not a member of because of the exact work I do does not. I don't think allows me to, you know. But it's a it's a cause I support the UMAW that are that have been fighting um, for a more equitable 
um, I think their 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 ask of Spotify is simply just a penny, like give us a penny a stream. Which you know, again, you have to think that somebody has to listen to a song a hundred times in order to make a dollar, and that is, you know, it's also it's it's like it's like you know, minimum wage in the U.S. It's like you know, fifteen dollars an hour is maybe like it should probably be higher, but that's at least better than what we've got now. But all I say all that to say that with Bandcamp, which which an artist is putting up their work directly, they get a, a higher share. And since lockdown of March 2020, for I'd say maybe it was I don't know if it was that March or that April, and with pretty much pretty consistently since, and it'll be happening again in about a month. The first Friday of every month is what, what they call Bandcamp Friday, and what happens is Bandcamp the the, the already much smaller cut that they take per song, per album, per sale, they waive that. And that goes entirely to the artist or to the label. There are certain, there are certain cases of, you know, there are certain artists. Uh, Peter Gabriel owns his own uh, material. He has all his stuff on Bandcamp. Uh, the, the, the label Yep Rock Records, which is where Nick Lowe, is, uh, his catalog is signed to there. Marshall Crenshaw just did a deal uh, his catalog is going to be coming to Yep Rock. These these are all acts on Bandcamp. So these aren't just independent, you know, these aren't just like up and coming bands. But so you think, the, to me, the perfect storm of Squeeze are releasing an EP that will raise money for a brilliant cause. If they had an opportunity to put that on Bandcamp and say, hey, go to Band, don't go to Spotify, don't necessarily go to Apple, don't, you know, go to Bandcamp and listen to this. They would be making more money to do, and 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 because they would be making more money off of their streams and downloads, because you can also download off Bandcamp, which is great, or even buy a physical album if you if the, if you so desired. That option is also available. So if they had, if they allowed that option, they would be getting more money, which is good for them normally. But in the case of doing it for a charitable cause, it's even better. So that's that's my challenge, as I call on the Squeeze fan community to uh, see if they can get uh, the band can get their released material on Bandcamp. I think they have like one or two, maybe like the Live at the Fillmore record. I think might be on Bandcamp, but um, but that's really it. And I think that anything that they that they can can get on there, and especially any older artist, I I you know who has access to your own catalog that is my 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 wish for you that would be a very um wise move although i think a lot of people of my age and a little older don't quite grasp it um and understand they still have this perception of it being a place where uh, unsigned bands or, or or solo artists or that sort uh, put their put their music in in addition to uh, SoundCloud. Right. So, speaking to me, if you were talking to me and talking to someone ten years older than me, and these are the people that are going to the live gigs. Right. I mean, yes, you know, you you aren't the exception, so to speak. You know, <laughs> you you'll always bring in be able to bring in people. Uh, you know, like the Beatles you know, kind, you know, kind of do, they do. Right. Um, how would, how would you address that? That, I don't know if it's a misconception. Uh, like you said earlier, uh, people like 
uh, Nick are getting on there uh, and Marshall Crenshaw, these are the demographics that would be buying that in real life. You know, it's, it's, it's not a fantasy if, if you get what I mean. So how do you balance that? How do you get the word out and make it make sense for somebody like me? You know, it's challenging, I think. And again, because, you know, it's not a wholesale unless, you know, the day comes that Squeeze is able to wrest control from Universal and say, like, we we own our material now. I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, the, it's very challenging. I don't know how what you what you would do. I mean, I can think of things that you know, again, things like di- like low lift digital things that Universal could do to get some of these songs a little bit more off the off the ground, so to speak. The the, the better known songs, you know, you you have videos that have not been delivered. I don't believe Hourglass, uh, you know, which is a very visually arresting video, no matter what age you are i think um i don't know that video is 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 available through an official band channel um i don't know that there's one for tempted either i mean i know there was a video but i don't know that that video is is able to be uh called up at the at the you know couple clicks uh (laughs) or taps on on your phone crazy thing is that a lot of people do go to youtube and they can see the official videos for Junction, Cool for Cats. And it's like they focus like right on those two, um, which again, you know, we're kicking it back 40 plus years. So you're right. How do you bridge those two generations of people who want to consume? They want to hold something physical, but yet there's that YouTube issue to deal with i guess there's a lot of legalities too because they can you know somebody from universe could just go in and rip something down uh if it's not their you know if it's not part of their catalog so to speak yeah i think it's it's legalities and it's also just manpower you know it's just like again universal i mean universal is the biggest uh music label on the planet and they again they handle artists like Taylor Swift and The Weeknd and uh, I'm trying to think of other ones, but like just like the, the you know big 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 artists, um, and so of course you know that's just unfortunately that often happens where it's like we we gotta we gotta focus on the big ones. It's it's challenging because it's like you know how do you make how do you make this argument that these these guys should at least be the, you know the attention and i think in the last couple of years we've seen i've seen some great stuff with the police where all their videos were um you know remastered in high def and redelivered to the youtube channels i think they've even made lyric videos which is a you know something that young people really like uh you know not just it's not not just seeing the video that was on MTV, but seeing the, the words and, and done in some sort of artistic way that really uh, gets people's attention, especially, you know, if you have a video or if you have a, a big song that was like, you know, uh, it didn't have a video, but you just want, you want people to really experience it and not just in a way that's like, you know, an upload where it's like just the, the album cover um, as you, you know, you might often find on, on YouTube. 
um yeah i think it just it, it really it, it just it, it requires somebody to say this is worth investing the time and the money in and then taking it from there and obviously doing it with the you know with the the wishes of the band this is not you know as as cool as it would be for someone at universal to go absolutely rogue and be like i'm the i'm the squeeze guy now we're gonna get all we're gonna fix up the squeeze catalog i don't know that that's that that that's a sensible business decision and so again it would it would rely on communicating with chris and glenn and and management and uh making sure that 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 it makes sense for the band you know and i think that you know it's fine i think back it felt for a minute like we could have been on the precipice of that which was right before lockdown and i was very privileged to see you know right before lockdown uh when the band opened for hall and oats at madison square garden which was nuts like that's a twenty thousand person venue and it was i tell you it was filled for squeeze there weren't people trickling in from the bar you know getting their beers or getting the merch or whatever or like i'll just wait till the hall there everybody it to me felt like they were in there as much for hall notes as they were for squeeze and they sang with all those songs and it was while i have been to shows that have had more diverse set lists because of course again if you're playing you're playing Madison square garden they're not going to do who's that as much as i'd love them to do that or they're not going to do Vanity Fair, but they did. You know, they did the the twelve songs that people really know, and a couple, I think, one or two from the new record that really fit with the the vibe of the classic material. And uh, and people were going nuts. They were eating it up. They were singing along. Um, and so it felt like there was a moment of like, hey, maybe this is. You, you can point to this as an example of okay, this is maybe a sign that we need to be doing something with this catalog beyond like what what we call the lean back experience of people uh just sort of discovering it on their own so i don't uh, you know i don't know what the i don't know what the silver bullet is there but uh i hope that somebody figures it out because uh, my wallet will be open the second <laughs> the second it's time to download a new product or to stream something um i'm there Okay, so what's interesting about what you're saying is we have a two-prong um, force going in here, a two-prong, you know, thing going. We have the band together, you know, in a really strong, very tight ensemble, playing live, um, enjoying it. There's no hang-ups. There's no drugs. There's no drinking. No. Um, everybody's on, you know, right on point. And part two, from what Glenn has been saying, that their next release, allegedly, will be material that he and Chris have never recorded. So we're talking like prehistoric legacy here. Oh, wow. (laughs) I haven't heard the details. I haven't heard the details. But they sat down, uh, Chris and Glenn, for an interview in the UK, right before the UK tour started. And it's been, it's been Glenn kind of alluding to that fact that they could possibly, the band, go in and record all this, I don't know, unheard material. So 
this is like, now this would play into a great thing. You know, they have it, it's theirs. And yet they're a band who can go out and play and promote it. Um, what do you think? What do you think of that? I think that's that's great, and I think again, it's all the more reason for all the people who make these business decisions to really consider. And you 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 hit on something that I didn't I didn't even think of, even though I'd written it down, is that we are coming up on. It's been fifty years since the band formed. Almost, I think twenty twenty four will be the the fiftieth anniversary. And I think that I don't know. I'm trying to remember if Chris and Gwen met in seventy three or seventy four, but we're coming up on the on the fiftieth anniversary of this partnership in some form that is really significant that feels as significant as a lennon mccartney or a jagger richards or a you know um it's not something it does look at the the you don't need like a like i think a david bowie i, th- I think and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna tell a story that uh a friend of mine experienced he was we we, we had gone to see um in new york there was a Bowie pop-up store for his what would have been his seventy-fifth birthday, and uh, my friend is waiting outside the store, and he sees you know it's in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and he sees a, a couple pass by, and they sort of look in the window, and the guy, I'm not gonna, he had like an like a like a little patois. I obviously am not gonna do the patois, but he he said, let the man sleep. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those, especially you know posthumous artists you know that that can be that can be challenging and this is you know you don't have that challenge that you'd have with a prince or a michael jackson chris and gwen are very much alive they're healthy i know chris just had a medical procedure recently but he's doing good as far as i know um really take this opportunity to i don't want to say exploit is not the right word capitalize is not a word i like to use but like to really take advantage of the fact that these guys are here telling their story, they're adding to the story. They're not simply going. Remember when we did cool for cats? You know, like they're 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 adding. And I would hope that you know, I I feel this way. I think most fans. I think the the, the new material they're doing is very good. I don't you know I don't find myself. I'm not the kind of person who would do this, but I don't find myself thinking about getting some popcorn at the show when they play a new song. And so, you know, I just, I really hope that there's a way to get whoever needs to, to do it or never, whoever needs to see it. Again, you're not, we're not talking like a a Beatles anthology thing here. Like it's, I don't think it's going to blow open the doors of perception for people who haven't discovered what a great band, you know, they might always just be a band that a lot of people like. That a lot of specific people, you know, whether it's, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand, I don't know how many people, you know, I don't know what the social media metrics are. I think this is a good opportunity, you know, this is a good opportunity to start thinking about this stuff. And, uh, you know, especially if they're game to participate. Because I don't think, you know, again, you could do it in a way that's not looking backward for the sake of looking backward or reissuing stuff for the sake of reissuing stuff it's like oh this is the third time i'm gonna buy this thing um i think that there's still stuff to be done and i just hope that you know that whatever factors make need to make it happen will make it happen right i mean people are willing to invest in a legacy band and that's a weird term to use because they're still alive like you said 
um, they're playing mostly, uh, well, how I don't know what the percentage balance would be. They're playing their back catalog sure. more often than not. And it's kind of what McCartney's been saying, you know, if I came with set list, what would I want to hear? What, you know, um, you know, sometimes you go to these gigs, especially if they're acoustic, like with Glenn and somebody had said in a, a Facebook group that they wanted to hear Rose, I said, Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. But you, you'd probably have to hear Glenn do it. I don't think you're going to hear squeeze do it. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's tough because they you wonder what the choices are. Um, and that they're willing to make the investment of going on the road and doing this and selling merch. Uh, somebody found the, uh, all, all, I think it's all five of Glenn's demo discs for sale, which is also eye-opening. But I, um, I think you can shed some light on that because that actually is almost like a self-promotion because there's his record label called Quixotic. Right. And that, and, and that is, that is something I would, you know, if I were pulling the strings with, with uh, management, I would say, put those on Bandcamp because you don't have to, you don't have to get permission. Uh, you know, Universal is not like, well, we own that. Co-. No, you own that copyright. That's the way that, you know, some, there are some deals where sometimes labels do own your demos, but obviously that was not the case. If he could put five of those discs out of that material. So I would say, if there's a way because again i don't i don't know that you can stream those i think those you could only ever buy on cd i could be wrong yeah and i'm not sure that is i mean are they so exclusive that that's what he wants to do you know get the hardcore fans you know invested in all the stuff that i did you know to uh show squeeze you know and and then they become a song that you like right. but here's the demo version so yeah, that's an unusual angle. Um, who do we talk to about that? <laughs> I'm going to be finding out. I'm going to be sending this podcast to everybody I know. Well, and everybody I know in the industry, I'll be saying, "Hey, look, here's what I think." And it would be nice because it feels like there's so much out there, um, like the avenues that you spoke of, especially uh, Bandcamp, that there probably isn't even a connection you know, say with these bands that are in the squeeze realm. Um, Cause you wonder how did Nick Lowe and Marshall Crenshaw, how did that all happen? Well, I think you know, for them to be on Bandcamp. Well, and you hit on a perfect, uh, the perfect analogy. It's not that it's not that, uh, you know, Chris and Glenn or any act of that vintage, they're not looking at it and saying, no, I don't want to be on Bandcamp. They're not looking at it at all. You know, so you got to have somebody educate and say this, hey, this is a this is this is an avenue that you you need to be paying attention to if you're not already. I mean, in the case of Marshall and Nick, it's it's that the Yep Rock label is, you know, small enough and attuned enough that that that's, you know, they are choosing. You know, I don't think again, I don't think Universal Music is going to start, you know, putting the classic A&M records on Bandcamp because it's just it's not the band camp does not interact with, they, they don't really do business with major, major labels. Cause I think it's just, you know, again, it's a different, different ethos. Plus, you know, again, since band camp, an artist makes more on band camp or a label makes more. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that universal would want that. I think universal is happy with the music, the money that they're making 
from their their deals with Spotify and Apple, I guess. Let me uh, touch briefly before we uh, wrap up here. Uh, The use of Tempted in Rock Band? Yeah. Do you know? Anything about that? You you talked about it like 10 years ago when, when Rock Band was huge. I did. I did. You know, it, it was funny because I, I was just thinking about this because I was, I was actually listening to a completely different artist, but I was listening to um, Reckless by Brian Adams. And that's another – the only reason that those two are in my head is because Tempted and I think Summer of 69 both had – Rock Band, I don't – I'm not much of a gamer. That that part of my brain shut off when I uh, started going to college. Unless there's like a Mario in it, I don't really care. <laughs> but Rock Band I was always interested in, and I was always interested once they started licensing master recordings. And in the case of Tempted, and in the case of Summer of 69 by Brian Adams, in converting and taking the raw master tape, the multi-track tapes, and converting them to the game, they found... For both of them, they, they that those songs when you hear them on the radio they fade out. But obviously, you can't like you, if you're playing a game, you know if you're pretending to play these instruments, you can't fade out. That's a, that's a dumb way to end the end the, the the playing experience. So a lot of times they would sort of manipulate the multi tracks to kind of create some sort of ending. But in the case of Tempted, if you and if you go on YouTube and search like you know Tempted Rock Band, which is tough because I know you know Tweed is a rock band, but um, but if you listen to see how these how the the game was played, um, you get about I would say twenty or thirty seconds beyond what you know as the song faded out, um, and it's not you know again it's not um, manipulation of what you already hear to like to loop it like. It is Paul sing, like singing notes that he's not singing, and it's you know it's Glenn playing guitar notes that you know it's it is a longer part of the performance, and it's just interesting. You know, I don't know if any you know uh, if anybody at Universal had thought, and I always used to uh, I always used to say like it would be cool if they you know that would be a, to me like a great product series would be like you know songs unfaded. Like, what does it sound like? Like, you know, we all know when the song and, you know, especially if you're I'm sure Squeeze fans are, if you're the kind of music nerd that would turn up the 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 volume to hear everything before it before it all before you couldn't hear anymore. And then you'd have to turn it down really fast to make sure the next song wasn't like extremely loud. I always thought that would be an interesting series of like, okay, what does this song sound like raw, like the the master tape and, and, and Tempted is an example of that. So that could be a bonus track somewhere for these. Uh, <laughs> they ever want to? They want to revive um, <laughs> the squeeze uh, discographical overhaul? Um, that that could be something they could do. This sounds like an episode of uh, Discovery Plus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, delving deep into the endings of songs. Oh, I you, you know, know I I love that stuff. And um, yeah, in fact, I was yeah, I was yeah I was listening to the Brian Adams reckless album. And, 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 and again, and it was just the regular album. And I was, I remembered that summer 69 had this like neat little extra bit that was unfaded. And I immediately went to YouTube and it's like, I just, I just listened to the song, but I'm going to listen to it again, just so I can hear this part. It's amazing that we'll get that granular 
about our love for an artist, uh, especially Squeeze, and talk about things that were in the past, but that they've been brought up again. And so pretty much, um, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you, you young'uns <laughs> out there, have really done your homework, have uh, contributed so much the resurgence of the back catalog in a unique and different way, because that's what Squeeze deserves. So, Mike, I thank you oh. from the highest mountain above, and I want to uh, get that word out that Squeeze should be on Bandcamp. And so let's do it. Yeah, let's get the, a campaign. The records, that, yeah, and then and then hopefully somebody at Universal gets a light bulb over their head and and maybe you know does some tape research and goes, okay, well, what 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 stuff has been released but just isn't available like to consume? Because that's the thing, you know. I've 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 sat in so many meetings where they wanted where where, where artists managers of artists who are either older or in some cases deceased, I can think of, that are like, we want to expand the reach of... Now, I don't think Squeeze or Craven... I think they're they're doing fine. I don't think that they're, like, trying to grab that, you know, bag of money with a dollar sign on the side of it, necessarily. But um, where you have these managers that are like, we want to make these artists even bigger and even more prominent. Well, one of the ways that you can do that very easily is simply have more things to listen to. You know, if there's a, you know, if there's a, if there's a hundred squeeze songs streaming on a service, but there were like maybe another 20 B sides that just, that didn't get, end up on a CD somewhere, but they exist. The tapes exist, you know, maybe you digitize them. Maybe you can digitize them for a nominal fee, you know, to, to, you know, pay a, you know, your, your studio to, to master it properly. Um, why wouldn't you do that? You know, like, and the and I think the problem is, is that you can never, you know, you can't. There's no quantify. You can't put a formula on a blackboard. You know, I I always used to 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 say this when I worked closer in the industry was that it was always very difficult. Like if I would I would write, you know, if I would write a social media post or whatever, which is something I did very often, it was very hard to figure out. Uh, okay, here's you know, buy this you know this on this day this record was released. Uh, stream it now, you know, or have some sort of trivia about it. You can't formulate really like how much money that made. Like, you know, you can do your analytics of like, okay, well, a hundred people, a thousand people saw this post, five hundred people clicked on the link. I don't know two. Like, I don't know what the you know, the math is so. Byzantine to me, and that's I think that was always, that's always the hardest thing about these conversations is that like these conversations that you like that you and I are having right now are very much uh, irrespective of the financial realities or the the manpower realities of what it takes to actually get these things to happen. And I often say that a lot of times when you if you as a fan are saying why hasn't this happened yet, like I'm saying right now usually there's an answer and nobody knows what that answer is. It could be finance. It could be, you know, they were going to do it, but they could, you know, talks broke down between the two parties. I don't know. But all that to say is, um, I don't know. I'm just, uh, here I am just, just using my, uh, modest platform as a, 
a writer of of some <laughs> some renown uh, among Catalan fans to say, "Hey, look, like this is why not? Why not do this? Why not? Why not at least look into doing this?" And uh, if it happens, I'll be very happy. Uh, if not, I'm still happy because I got to talk about Squeeze. Come on. And that's what we're here for, <laughs> obviously. So thank you so much for for discussing all of this and making it relevant to the Squeeze fan. Ah, well, th- thank you. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity. 